Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is the fourth consecutive win Wednesday. The 49ers are 4-0 for the first time since 1990. And with me this week, to detail Pro Football Focus's proprietary handshake grading scale, it's David Newman. Oh, it was the handshake one? Shit, I've only been studying flag plants. Yeah, so I think um, I might be a little unprepared. I know that you have to take a break from studying long snappers, punters, running backs, and kickers. But I'm going to need you to break down this handshake for me. I don't even look at these dudes. Because if if you haven't heard, uh, handshake gate is real. The Niners have been keeping handshakes controversial since 2011. Back with Jim Harbaugh and Jim Schwartz. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, this is is part of the 49ers ethos at this point is controversial handshakes. (laughs) So if you haven't heard, of course, Richard Sherman said that Baker Mayfield did not shake his hand during the coin toss. And it turns out that he did because there's video evidence. And Twitter was on this like a straight up Zapruder film all day yesterday. And then it turns out that what really angered Sherman was that Baker Mayfield ran away too quickly. Tell me all about did, it. David. Did I accidentally come on first take? This yeah. is leading the show. Yeah, what's absolutely. happening right it's, now? It's, it's just a couple. I think of I came on the wrong show. Well, you know what? You leave for a few <laughs> weeks, David, and I don't know what to do with myself. Okay, uh, uh, but David, you're back. Wow. It's good to have you back. What have you been doing? I've been watching a lot of football, <laughs> man. Uh, all day, all day, every day, watching all of the the pass plays. I've I've set up a great show, I think, for us today because it's going to be a show entirely about the run game we're yeah. going to have some special teams uh, in there i mean these it's are really my specialty th- right really in my is. wheelhouse yeah uh, special teams are your specialty yeah i i think that should Live go for it i'm going to put that on a t-shirt uh with just like the scottish hammer on the front uh and i gotta we're... say our punter is not as cool like we you know they won the game obviously but did not win the punter. We'll get to the punter, David. We'll get in due time, my friend, in due time. But let's talk about the game on Monday night because the 49ers absolutely obliterated the Browns. Final score was 31-3. to Of course, the 49ers are, as we said at the top of the show, 4-0 for the first time since 1990, which is actually even surprising to me. I would have thought they would have opened 4-0 even like during one of the Harbaugh years. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Or even during one of the Steve Young years. It is. Like in 1990, I love looking at like the year via the song. Like what song was popular in 1990? Top five song, Billboard charts, Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison. Never trust a big button to smile. I was a toddler. (laughs) Um, So not gonna, not gonna have a lot of callbacks to, uh, to many songs at that point, but man. That is a long ass time. Ago. Yeah, man, I was yeah, I was just figuring out, uh, you know, like school dances and and slamming and moshing and things like that. Uh, middle school was was interesting, I think. Uh, but okay, so per Pro Football Outsiders, that game against the Browns, the San Francisco 49ers had the single best, si- the best single game performance of the season so far against Cleveland. Their DVOA, defense adjusted value over average, was one hundred point nine which means they were basically lapping league average in this game. I mean, they just completely destroyed, dismantled, obliterated. Pick your phrase here. They did it to the Browns. It was very good. It was a, it was a very impressive one. Yeah, I think um, and it, it, was, it was really a game that is like set up the way that they want to play right now. And it was just kind of from the beginning, um, you know, being able to jump out to a lead, just kind of put them in cruise control for the rest of the game because it, it sets up everything that they 
do well or want to do right now. They fell into the Venus flytrap that is the 49ers. And it started with the run game, and it started right with the opening play. Now, that opening play, of course, Matt Breida, love that dude, literally currently staring at his, well, lower torso on the screen because I've got the recording software on the top part of the screen. Pits down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the opening play was where it all started. And the opening play was actually set up on the previous film because what Shanahan did with the first play was really, really awesome. Mayoko had a great breakdown of this from the players in Shanahan's own words, but effectively it starts with one of Shanahan's base plays, which is 14-15 Wanda. Now, 14 and 15 just basically means like which side are you running it to, left or right? Uh, and Wanda is a base play in Shanahan's offense designed to hit the inside hip of the tackle on the weak side. It's something he runs often. It basically looks uh, like an off-tackle run to the weak side. But it just like most of the 49ers runs that are part of their base package, it flows the entire defense one way. It's something that the Browns had seen on film. It's something they, they knew to expect. And they're hyped up first play of the game Monday night. And what does he do? He hits them with Susie, not Wanda, but Susie, uh, which is a play that looks almost exactly the same, but is instead meant to flow back and attack the strong side. And you've got one linebacker that's out of position and all of a sudden it's a house call. Right. I think that's kind of the, the, the funny thing about that play. You have like a huge play. You almost think that this is some complete breakdown from the Browns, Browns defense, right? That's just like a bunch of players screwing up and like that's how you get uh, what 80 plus yard touchdown run. And it was really one guy that, that was kind of just especially bad. And, and that was the crease to get Breed out into the open field. And then at that point, it's just right a track meet, and it's just Breida um, on some poor safety that's out there that has no chance of, of being able to keep up with them. Um, but yeah, it was basically you saw just like you mentioned, kind of the idea of, of trying to get guys pursuing towards the flow side, the side that they're all the offensive linemen are moving towards those linebackers. Uh, Mac Wilson in particular just went a little too hard play side that got him out of his gap, allowed Lake and Tomlinson to get up and kind of make sure to seal him inside. so he couldn't get back and recover to it. And that was your crease. You're right. Everybody else on the Browns front was like largely where they were supposed to be in the gap that they were supposed to be in. And if you had Mac Wilson doing his job as well, right, maybe this is a play that only goes for a few yards, um, depending on kind of like who's able to shed and make a tackle, right? But that one player missing his assignment just was uh, gave the, the crease that Breed needed to get out in the open field, and it was over from there. And it's so interesting to hear Shanahan talk about this play because he designed it specifically to attack a front that likes to line up with the nine technique. And what do we know about nine techniques? Well, we know that it leaves a pretty big bubble on that backside B gap. And if your linebackers aren't disciplined, there's a lot of space to run through. And that's exactly what he was targeting. He, he hoped to get that front the first play of the game. That's exactly what he got. And it's a house call. I mean, I mean, this is the kind of scheming that Shanahan brings to the game is he's not like generally attacking a defense. He's attacking a specific alignment that he expects on the opening snap, a specific gap and, and more than likely a specific player that he knows is probably going to be very, very aggressive when he sees that flow to the play side. And, and it's that kind of pinpointing who I want to attack. That makes Shanahan just so just so absolutely amazing. Right. And it's it's I think the the stuff that they do with motions and shifts, right, is a big part of that as well. So it's not only is is just the general design of the play, um, you know, kind of a counter off what what they do a lot. Um, but you have kind of that motion that you get juice on, right? And so they like to 
send juice kind of in that like little horizontal motion in the backfield, shift off to one side, and then they'll uh, go to that side, right? They'll do a kind of more wide zone. They'll toss it out there to that side and really try to hit wide that way. And but every once in a while they do the opposite, right? So they they send him in that same motion and then they basically pull him back around the other side to almost like a, a counter block, right? He's going to kick out on the other side um, away from that flow, which is what he did here. And so it's you you get all of that action that really is telling these linebackers, I need to get you know over this way where all of these bodies are flowing towards. Um, and it just kind of bite, comes back and bites them. And we saw a really diverse run game against the Cleveland Browns because it wasn't just the, the outside zone that Shanahan's known for. Actually, this season, while they still run a heavy dose of outside zone, we've seen we've seen like counter runs. We've seen this run. We've seen some man blocking concepts. We've seen some power. We've seen a lot of diversity out of the run game the 49ers are putting on tape. And I mean, this in a lot of ways this feels like the type of team that the Niners were in 2011, 2012, 2013. Really, really strong defense, run the ball, uh, and run the ball in a diverse way and be very, very efficient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, those little things, uh, you know, the counters and stuff like that are are always nice because you want to have, you need to have something, and this is what something Shanahan is obviously very aware of in kind of all aspects of this offense in the passing game, especially having you know, play action plays that look just like all of these same runs, right? Everything kind of builds on each other and, and counter. That's why that's a, a, a nice change up run that he likes to go is because for a large part of the offensive line, it looks like zone, right? So it, other than the guys that are pulling, you know, you, you get that kind of same flow from the offensive line to one direction. And all of a sudden you're hitting them back the other, the other way when you get, get those guys kind of pulling around to lead out. So it, it's all meant to kind of give defenders a similar picture and not have them be able to key on kind of a specific thing that tells them what's going to happen. Well, it's all about deception, right? Yeah. That, that's, that, I think, is the takeaway that is, uh, that is underlying a lot of really, really good offenses across the NFL. It's, can you make defenses think by presenting one thing but having it be something else? Yep. This is why play action is effective. This is why the switch from Wanda to Susie was effective. This is exactly what you want to do as an offensive play caller and designer, is you want to... Add an element of deception because even just a little bit of deception can increase your chances of play success. I mean, everyone had a good game against the uh, just about everyone had a good game <laughs> against. We'll get to that in a second uh, against the the Browns here. You, Tevin Coleman came back. He almost had 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, everyone forgot Jeff Wilson, the marvelous goal, goal line back. The, how are we going to replace those touchdowns? Well, how can we do it? Well, well we're going to do it with running backs <laughs> because whoever you put back there is going to be just fine. But there was one thing that I thought was interesting, and this has to do with the frequency with which the 49ers run on second down because they seem to do it often in the game. And of course, I got caught in a tweet when I was like, please don't run it on on second and long. And then, of course, that's like the one second and long run that Tevin Coleman turns into a first down. Right. Um, Because, you know, that's what happens when when you tweet things out loud. Um, But run right on second down. Let's talk about this for a second, because on second and seven or more yards, when you eliminate end of halves and garbage time. The 49ers have the third highest run percentage in the league. They run the ball 37.5% of the time on second and long. League average is 26%. But how effective are they on those second and long runs? Well, not great. They're sixth worst based on expected points added per play. Minnesota leads the league with 54% run percentage in this category. This is not a place you want to be in line with with Minnesota. (laughs) Minnesota is actively trying to hide their quarterback by basically saying, you know what? We're just going to give it to Dalvin Cook. That's not the kind of offense you want to be compared to. And yet this is the the type of play call 
that Shanahan is consistently going back to. And honestly, it's a little worrisome because I think that the 49ers could, as, as much as they destroyed the Browns, these scores could even be more lopsided, potentially, if they pass just a little bit more. Right. And, and I think the, 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 the part that kind of sucks to me is, is really no matter the situation that you look at, right, uh, any split that you kind of want to pull up, they are among the league leaders in the frequency with which they are running the ball, right? Whether that's all plays where they are number one by a pretty large margin, whether that's first down, second down, like second long, I think is one that we wanted to highlight because it's especially concerning and it's uh, a down in a situation that is kind of critical to keeping drives alive, right? And uh, what happens is you, you have a lot of coaches that kind of look at this backwards where it's, okay, I'm in second long, I need to get a couple yards here so that I can get to third and, you know, medium. Basically, I can hopefully I can get to third and five, third and six, something like that. And in re- really what you should be looking for is like, how do I get either a just a first down on second down, not to do, deal with third down at all or get to third and short, right, where my conversion rate is going to be much higher. And so that's why you see a lot of successful teams run or excuse me, pass the ball very heavily in this situation because uh, passes just on average gain more yards than run plays do. And so you're going to, are you going to have some incomplete passes, you know, mixed in there and then you end up in third and long? Of course you are. But it, the, the difference between a third and eight and, you know, a third and six isn't going to be a huge difference, right? Like it, what, what really is going to make the difference and help you get, uh, keep drives alive and keep the ball moving is how do I just skip that third down or how do I get to third and two? Right. And that's what we're, we're not really seeing from them right now. And, and thankfully, like just with how game scripts have gone for them so far through these first games, it hasn't really ultimately been a huge issue. But that's something that becomes concerning when you have an offense on the other side that's putting up more points like you have to keep up a little bit more and, and the game isn't uh, aligned in, in a way that's so much in their favor. Yeah, ultimately against the Browns, it didn't matter a whole hell of a lot because they still found a ton of success on the ground. I mean, they were absolutely having their way and they didn't really have to pass the ball. Once you start getting the lead, yeah, you want to shorten the game. You absolutely want to shorten the game. And Freddie Kitchens started to help when he's like, you know what? (laughs) I want to get out of here too. Yeah, he's like, we're down (laughs) two scores. You know what we should do? Run the ball. Uh, So, you know, Freddie Kitchens wanted to get out of there real quick as well. Um, But, you know, it's something that it's just one of those things that you put a pin and you monitor it. You think, sure. okay, let's yeah. let's take a look. Let's let's go back a little bit later. Right now, not a huge deal. Um, but overall, I think the, the 49ers are clearly relying on their strength, which is running the ball. And, you know, I think uh, Ben Baldwin on Twitter, he posts a lot of, you know, what teams do versus what they're good at. And, and he's got this quadrant where he's like, teams that are more effective at passing the ball, but run more, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, or teams that are pretty good at running the ball and run the ball more often the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, they are leaning on their strength. And if anything, that's that's a good thing. That's a coach that understands what his team does well. So let's not try to put this team right now, at least, into something they're not maybe ready slash equipped to or whatever to do um, and, and just rely on the strength. Keep doing it until they can stop you. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, saying that it's a strength even too is a, is almost a little much. I mean, it's yes, they are they are good at it, um, you know, relative to a lot of other teams right now, but they're still not as effective running the ball as they're throwing the ball, right? Like overall yes. efficiency is still better. Like their their passing game hasn't been so dreadful. And, and so I think that's where it, where it comes back to really game situation for me and like just how things have played out. 
it's fine. When you have the ability to do it, you want to be you, you want to you know lean on the run game a little bit more, and the situation kind of allows for that, and it's a little bit kind of lower leverage situations where those decisions aren't making a huge difference in the outcome of the game. Sure, go for it. Um, I think yeah, it's like you said, it's something to monitor when things are not going their way as much, right? Do they continue doing this kind of um, less efficient play call? Yeah, because ultimately the defense is what allowed the team to not have to do much of anything else other than potentially run the ball because the 49ers defense turned Cleveland into an absolute factory of sadness. And you have not seen that video. Pause this right now. <laughs> go, to, go to YouTube, Google factory of sadness and enjoy because especially after this game, it's quite, it's, good. It's quite good and it's prescient. But the defense is really the story of the game because Baker Mayfield and that Browns offense, of course, came in highly touted in the preseason. And even over the first the first month of the year, uh, they are like, okay, they had a pretty bad month, but they were still two and two. And they were still a team that could be seen as dangerous. They had just completely uh, put a walloping on a, a molly whopping or a molly whooping or whatever. That's something I learned earlier this year. Molly whopping. There yeah. it is. There right. it is. Yeah. Clearly, I didn't learn it well enough. <laughs> but... They, they did that to the, to the Ravens, a team that many people thought uh, is and, and will continue to be good. And so what happens when they come in? Well, Baker Mayfield held to just eight completions on 22 attempts for 100 yards, zero touchdowns. Each of those numbers, except for the 22 attempts, are career lows. There is nothing the Browns could do that the, that the Niners were not ready for and did not completely shut down. Yeah, it was wild. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I wasn't... Not that, uh, obviously, the Browns have been playing especially well, but it's just, like, seeing the Niners' defense play so well uh, compared to, you know, kind of what we expected coming into the season and, um, you know, just where they were at last year. It, it's such a striking difference um, from that level of play that it's still not, like, fully set in yet that, like, wow, yeah, they, they're capable of, like, being one of the better defenses in the league with how they've been playing these first four games. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it all started with the defensive front, of course. Um, and we'll, we'll, I was going to save the player of the game to a little bit later, but let's just talk about it now because, I mean, he is absolutely yeah, sure. the player that you know is going to be the player of the game against this game or, or in this game, and that's Nick Bosa. I mean, Nick Bosa played out of his goddamn mind, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Freddie Kitchens decided, you know what? I'm going to put a tight end on, on uh, Nick Bosa. Let's see how that works. Nope. Uh, they tried to double team him. Nope. They tr- I mean, they, when they lined up D Ford and Nick Bosa on the same side and they ran the TE stunt and Nick Bosa just literally takes out both players, falls down, gets up and still makes the sack because Ford has flushed Baker Mayfield into uh, uh, Bosa. I mean, he was all over the place. He was a man possessed and it was really, really fun to watch. This was everything that we expected Nick Bosa to be, right? Um, I, th- I think he's been, you know, through those first few weeks was still good. Um, it's not like he was playing poorly by by any stretch. Um, but you could tell like the ankle was kind of, you know, limiting him a little bit. And you, you didn't just see the the dominance, right, that was there at the college level. And this was that game, right, where it's just constantly winning i mean he had one of so it, looking at so by win percentage just looking like how often does he beat the block right the guy that, that is trying to block him on that play how often does he win that matchup looking at that uh in the college data that we have which goes back to 2014 is had one of the highest win percentages among any edge defender that we've measured in that time so it was just a guy that it wasn't even necessarily like 
always, you know, not all of them are going to be the cleanest, like dominant wins where you just blow by a guy and get a sack or, you know, flush him out of the pocket immediately, something like that. But it's just always finding ways to like keep working and, and eventually finding a way to uh, bother the quarterback in some respect in the pocket. Right. And so he's just been able to do that so consistently. And that was what happened in this game where it was just, he was, it felt like every rep, right. But it was just, it was like over 30% of his pass rush reps, um, where he was is winning that matchup. And it was just a ridiculous performance to watch the, the play where he did the, the flag celebration. It was a two man rush. And he oh, still yeah. got to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> it was a two-man rush. That's good. Like it was like think about that for a second. We got to Baker Mayfield on a two-man rush. Like it's just it, it's absurd. It's crazy. Through four weeks, his pass rushing productivity is 16.1, tops in the league. Second is at 13.1. His pressure rate is at 28%, tops in the league. His pass rush win rate, 26.9%. On one out of every four snaps, like clockwork effectively, he is beating the block and getting and winning on a pass rush rep. That is ridiculous. Yeah, which is so like for for some context, anything over 20% is very, very good. League leaders are usually the guys, you know, the, the top, you know, handful of guys essentially in in the league will top that 20 percent mark a really good one is like high teens right if you're up in that 16 17 18 percent that's that's really good you should feel really good about that 26 percent, and again in this one just i said over 30 a minute ago 36 over one in three right uh, at times that he was going after the quarterback he was being successful in that mission. and that's in the game against uh, the browns yeah that's just in the game against the browns so yeah. it's just like it's an absurd rate to win especially for a player that is in his fourth professional game and uh, has been, you know, not even really fully a hundred percent yet to this point. So, I mean, yeah, this was, he, he is meeting every single possible expectation that you could have had coming into the season from yeah. a rookie guy. He is. And, and, and that is working in concert with the secondary because the, the Niners defense would not be playing as well as it is right now. Were it not also for an increased play in the secondary now, one thing that's been interesting is the type of scheme that the 49ers are running on the back end. And we kind of thought in the preseason that the Niners might end up with a bit more man defense, but it, they're really not playing a lot more man. They're, they are playing more split safety looks. They're playing a lot of cover six, a lot of quarters. I think part of that is because they end up ahead a lot in a couple of games. And so teams are throwing to catch up and you're going to just drop people and drop safeties and whatnot. But it still seems like a a departure from what Salah has done in like that strict cover three. And it's really working out by and large for the team. Um, I think one of the performance, uh, Jimmy Ward, of course, played. He played, okay, whatever. I mean, he did what he was supposed to do, which was tackle people and take good angles. And that's, I think, why Tarvarius Moore is sitting down, and that's good. Um, But overall, I think the story of the game is Emmanuel Mosley, who had probably the single best defensive back play in the game on that end zone forced incompletion because that was often a touchdown. And and it it was a really, really phenomenal individual play, despite the fact that Jimmy Ward was out of position and forced Emmanuel Mosley to make a really good individual play. Right. I think it it comes down to the the reason that it's so good. I mean, so obviously you can see just even from the broadcast watching it, right? Guys kind of closing ground, comes over there, knocks away a a potential touchdown pass. Like that's going to be a good play no matter what. But when you see it from, uh, you know, kind of the coach's tape and see what the call was there, uh, it is maybe one of my least favorite things um, in football. Single high in the red zone, is, my friend. You yeah, love it. 
single high defense and, and kind of that low red zone area, especially. So maybe you can kind of, you know, if you're really back there right around the 20, you can maybe get away. It's still still not great um, because what happens in, in cover three where teams like to attack is the seams. Uh, it, that's where everybody wants to go now. And so you see where that George single Kittle high. got his touchdown. Yeah. You, you, you want to be able to kind of hit that area in between the hashes and the numbers because you have, if you, if you run everybody vertical, you get four verticals, right? I've only got three guys back there. And so what happens is my corners are occupied with the outside vertical routes. And then my safety is in the middle of the field stuck between two other vertical routes. And, and it's like, yeah, if you got Earl Thomas back there, like, okay, he might be able to like break on those and he's going to get to his fair share of them. But even like most at that point, the best safety in the NFL, you're like, maybe he does. Maybe he gets there. Yeah. Yeah. Not certainly not a guarantee, right? He's still still going to have a lot of completions on those type of throws. And and so then when you get that, you take that same scenario and you put it down into the red zone where there's less space. They have less time. The throws happening quicker. Um, the safety has less time to react to it and get over there. And so what you end up doing in reality is is really playing with 10 players. That safety that's sitting in the middle of the field is worthless. He can't get to anything that any route combination is going to, that teams are going to run down there when they see single high. And that was what happened here. And so Jimmy Ward, um, through no fault of his own, is sitting in the middle of the field completely worthless, not able to get to any route. And so Mosley is now over on his side of the field and he's got his two vertical routes and he does just a perfect job of being able to split those two. So he's, he needs to kind of split the difference on them so he can hopefully react to both of them, uh, which is uh, much easier said than done. Rarely do corners actually react to either of them very well. Um, and so he, he's in good position to start with. And then you see the recognition that Baker wants to go to the seam route, right? He sees B- Baker's probably sees this pre-snap and is fucking all over it. Is like, yeah, I'm about to score a touchdown here and makes the jump on it, gets over there, closes that space, gets the pass breakup and, you know, prevents a touchdown. And so it was and just a, a great, great play overall. Gets a pass breakup without committing a penalty. Yeah. Because it would have been very easy for him to go over the back or for him to turn with his with his other hand. But instead, he plays it beautifully i mean it is literally teach tape yeah that, re- that rep by Emmanuel mosley was absolute teach tape and th- this is the thing about teams that are good and that have a chance to or hope to have a chance to contend for a playoff spot or even the super bowl which i think the 49ers are firmly in the driver's seat for of contending for a playoff spot at least this year it's that yes injuries do happen but when your roster talent is good in some way shape or form you have people who can fill those in and they may not fill them in to quite the level as the starter, but they fill in well enough and long enough to allow the starter to return. And who the hell knew that Emmanuel Mosley was going to be a player like that? And it's one game, but it's one game against a couple of talented receivers. Um, and, and he played very, very well. Hopefully he can maintain that level of play over the next couple of weeks. But I think so far from what we've seen, at least in his limited game action, seems like he's, uh, he's playing well. Right. And that's the thing that you're you're really looking for from right is just to be like solid. Right. You, you just don't want him to go out there and be a liability. I think that's a big part of the reason they've been so successful in coverage so far is it's not that any one player has been like lights out and dominant. Right. They they haven't had that guy. Sherman hasn't been that guy. Even K1 Williams, who is their, yeah. their, their highest graded corner so far, he's played well, but he's not played like, oh, my God, lockdown, put you on an island. Well, Right. You're not like all of a sudden looking at it kind of this back end. I mean, like, wow, that guy's like on an all pro track, right, essentially, or, or something like that. Right. 
And uh, it, it's more so that just everybody has been playing pretty well. And so when you get kind of the whole collective group um, that, that isn't presenting a liability, there's no one guy that, you know, the offense can point to and say, OK, we're going to go ahead and target them because, you know, in, in a lot of coverages, you can kind of isolate a specific defender with your route combination. And so if you have one corner that's just sitting over there being terrible, like, yes, there are some things defensively you can do to try to help him. But if you want to, as an offense, attack that guy, you can attack him, right? And, and you can expose him a bit. So when you you have a more solid group all the way across the board there, you don't necessarily need the star player, you know, that's that's shutting down one side of the field. Now, of course, the question that I get often, I know you get it as well, or at least if you have eyeballs and watch Twitter, is, well, David, wasn't this expected? Wasn't it expected that Sherman and Mosley and everyone in the secondary was going to look better simply because Nick Bose is so damn amazing and simply because D Ford is playing well in spurts and you've got DeForest Buckner. I mean, it was obvious that what matters for defense is this pass rush and all of a sudden the secondary is going to look better. I mean, not entirely, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it, it's always going to help, right? Um, again, the... The argument that it's got to be one or the other um, is is kind of something that gets lost quite a bit when when this conversation tends to come up. Um, you want to obviously have both. You know, you know, you want to be as good at as many things as you can be good at. That's just kind of generally a a better thing to do, right? If you can swing it. So you you want to you want to have guys that can get after the passer. It's not like you want to abandon that. Um, and they are going to help each other, right? If if you have good coverage. That's going to give that pass rush a little bit longer to get home. Um, whereas if you have a great pass rush, you know, maybe they get home a little bit quicker and your guys in the back end um, don't have to be out there as long. Or maybe you get, you know, more errant throws, off target throws, quarterbacks trying to rush things because they're, um, you know, under pressure and kind of feeling the, the effects of that. And so they're not as on target, you know, and it's giving guys maybe they were beat by a step or something like that on the route. But now the throw's off target and I can still get to it, right, and make a play on it. So you get things like that. There's obviously interplay between the two. Um, but we've seen plenty of very good pass rushes and very poor secondaries still get exposed as a defense, right? Because as, a, as an offense, if they can't cover anybody on the back end, I can get the ball out quickly and and just get it out there and, and, and basically neutralize that pass rush completely. And so I think that's another area, though, where, again, game script has been very heavily in their favor. When you are playing with a big lead teams are throwing to to catch up they're usually at the point of abandoning a lot of the quick passes right maybe they're, they're going to mix some in but it's a lot more drop back five seven step drop type um, stuff that takes a little bit longer to develop and that gives your pass rush time to get there right so i think that is definitely an element that's been working to their benefit but yeah there's no question that independent of the pass rush itself the secondary is playing much better than i think we expected going into the year. Absolutely. And, and there are snaps where the pass rush gets home and gets there quickly and, and ends up creating a negative play for the offense. But there are also plenty of plays where the quarterback comes off of his first read, goes to his second read, is trying to get to his third, and all of a sudden there's a defensive lineman in his face. And that looks like a defensive line win. It looks like a pressure where it's like, see, defensive line wins again. But it starts because the quarterback had no place to go. And it may not have taken four, five, six seconds. Maybe it just took three. But three seconds is a long time to wait to throw the ball in the NFL. And, and that is still a win for the defense. It's two things that work in concert, but that is effectively a coverage sack. It's just not as readily apparent or seen as often. 
Uh, and that's what you're seeing a lot of the Niners defense do because you don't get to as historically good and efficient as they have been these last four games by just having a good defensive line and having players that are playing at the same abysmal level that they were last year. Yeah. You just don't do that. Uh, and it's because both units have gotten better that the whole defense has gotten better uh, because they are playing incredibly well. Um, so overall, it was fun. Um, I got to I made a little friendly bet at work uh, with a, a coworker of mine who's a Browns fan. He uh, I have an old Carlos Hyde jersey. And it was it was really it's a work bet. It's a work bet. Right. So it's like yeah. I was going to wear a Baker jersey if, if uh, the Browns won. He was going to wear a, a jersey of my choosing if the Niners won. Uh, and I gave him Carlos Hyde because he's a Buckeyes fan. I thought it'd be a little benevolent. But <laughs> number 28, also the margin of victory. Uh, yeah. which was a fun little double entendre because I love this. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but uh, overall, I think it was a, it was really, really fun. Uh, it was a great game. And man, I, I hope that we get more of those because that was fun. Yeah, dude, it's 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 nice to have a team that's playing well again to like be able to to turn on that game and not being just like, oh, well, let's see how bad they fucked up this week. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and on that note, Uh, Let's get to the rundown. But before we get there, uh, let's take just a brief break here from our sponsors. All right. Lots of news in the rundown. And unfortunately, it is the kind of news that we do not want because it's all about injuries. We did not escape the game against the Browns unscathed. Kyle Juszczyk, of course, out four to six weeks with an MCL sprain. Um, All right. Now, now's the deal. The the Shanahan can run his offense. Can't do it. It's over. Pack it up. I don't know how he is going to scheme an offense without the single cog that makes his entire offense go, Kyle Juszczyk. I can't possibly imagine how. How did he mad, like manage good offenses in all of the years prior to Kyle Juszczyk? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Patrick DeMarco must have been like the the father of Juszczyk at this point because that's the only other time that we've seen a fullback reach the same height uh, as Juszczyk at this point. And what's Patrick DeMarco doing right now? I don't fucking know. Uh, yeah, neither do yeah. I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyone's like, guess. Maybe yeah. he's still out there. So how do you... I mean, it, it does suck. Now, yeah, all jokes aside, Juszczyk sure. is playing the best year of his career thus far, I think. And and I think that it still is a blow because he's one of the 49ers' best run blockers. Uh, and what he does, going back to the idea of deception, is he allows the 49ers to come out in a very similar personnel look but still run a lot of, you know, pass or run, and just depending on what it is that Shanahan feels like running in that given moment. So you lose a bit of the deception element when use check goes down. Now, how do you think that Shanahan accounts for that? Because what I think is likely to happen is not what probably should happen. Yes, I think that's because you can really go one of two routes, right? So you don't have... um anybody else that really does the type of things that juice has been doing right so you can't you're not going to get a one for one swap so you're you're kind of two options at that point where they've been running a lot of 21 personnel right i got my two backs i've got a tight end two receivers out there i can either replace now use check with another tight end and go more 12 heavy um, or i can replace him with a receiver and go more 11 and, and get three receivers out there right so i think when you look just at purely at their personnel and and right like who is the next best skill position player that i would like to have on the field uh it's almost certainly a wide receiver right they, they don't really have uh, a lot of great depth at tight end as far as players that you want seeing a significant amount of action you don't want a lot of those ross dwelly squeens please kill that play with fire yeah the um, the dwelly screen deli screen i don't care what we call it just stop doing it 
Uh, and very that, bad idea. I think Ross Dwelly wants to stop doing them as well because it, it didn't w- end well for him. No, it did not. I mean, that was the second time that Olivier Vernon tried to take a shot at a 49er. And at that point, Ross Dwelly, I'm surprised that he's still alive. Yeah, it, it, it was not a great look for that dude. Um, you know, I, I, and so I think that's where, where it goes, right? If, like functionally you can go ahead and and get another tight end out there and you can line up in a lot of the same things that they've been doing and you you can you know technically run that stuff that you've been doing with Kyle Juszczyk right that's the the more direct comparison the easiest replacement to make if you're trying to keep things exactly as they have been um I don't think that that's necessarily a great idea because you lose that effectiveness matters, right? Just being able to line a guy up in those same positions doesn't mean that he's going to do the job equally as well. And as we talked about with the, the run play, you know, the breed of touchdown to open the game and how it was really one defender that kind of screwed up that led to that sort of big play. The, the opposite side of that is true as well. Whereas if all of a sudden you're packing the box with, you know, eight blockers, it only takes one of those guys to get their ass whooped for that play to be negative. Right. And and so that's been kind of the thing. That's one of the reasons that you hear a lot of people, you know, advise against running from heavy personnel groups anyway, is because it's easier to make five blocks or six blocks if I'm in, you know, 11 personnel and spreading things out than it is to make eight or nine blocks if I'm really packing everything in tight. Right. So it, it's just the the margin for error goes down. Um, and, and you just have lesser players that are out on the field. So I think, you know, the better adjustment to make would be to maybe take a look at his buddy that he's going to be going across from this week and, and look at Sean McVay and everything that they do, uh, from 11 personnel and, and say, okay, maybe I want to take more of that type of approach while my fullback is out and, and get a better player on the field. I can still do a lot of the same stuff, right? My, my run game, my, my zone run game is still there. All my play action stuff can still be there. And I'm just making a small tweak to do that with one back instead of two. Yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of his run concepts and they are initially one back run concepts. He likes to add a fullback for lots of reasons, but it is not a a stretch, pun intended, to use those runs and call those runs more as one back scenarios. I mean, I think you'll probably see Kittle in the backfield a bit more often. Uh, That happened uh, in this game. And I think that's smart because I think Kittle is... Uh, the other person who he's like a more fully realized version of Kyle Juszczyk. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then you've got Levine Toilolo, who is the run blocking tight end, who's probably going to come in on even, well, more snaps. Because right now he plays 82% of his snaps uh, or 82% of the snaps that Levine Toilolo plays are run snaps. That dude is a run blocker. That's what he's there for. That's what he's going to do. Uh, but ultimately, I think the gamble that you're making is that, you know, whomever your third wide receiver is, which at this point is like Dante Pettis, right? Because you've got Goodwin, Debo, and Pettis, yep. that Pettis is better than either one of those players. Uh, yep. That Levine Toilolo, or if they sign a fullback off the street, that fullback. Yeah, like that—that's the gamble. And you would hope that that gamble is right because Dante Pettis has had an up and down season thus far, and he dropped six in the game against Cleveland. Um, but if he is not better than Levine Toilolo, I then I like there that, are some problems. That's a problem. <laughs> that's a flat out problem. But. Ultimately, you're talking about one of the best and brightest, if not the best and brightest, offensive mind in the NFL. And if and losing Juszczyk does suck, but if Kyle Shanahan cannot get over the loss of Kyle Juszczyk, then I begin to worry about Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and, and so I think you know, getting to the next item here, the the much bigger loss 
uh, I think overall is losing Mike McClinchy for the same period of time, right? So he uh, is got his knee scoped, going to be out uh, also kind of the same four to six week timeline. One of my favorite um, comments that I read on, on Reddit, uh, we are now the San Francisco four to six weekers. <laughs> uh, that's great. It. Well, great. well done. It's well awesome. done. Yeah. Uh, it's not the tackle situation is not great. Um, and it, and it turns out, you know, having some decent tackles out there is, is pretty important. I think, and it's important not only, um, in the very obvious situation, pass protection, you know, where you have, uh, you know, your best pass rushers typically out on the edge there. That's where, you know, a lot of, uh, big plays in the pass rush come from. And so having guys out there that can keep your quarterback clean is a big deal, but also in, in the run game and what they do in, in the zone run game, especially tackles are a big part of that. Um, you know, you would see a lot of plays in this game against the Browns they had where you get out on the edge. You know, obviously they have some of the one, the windback one, some of the stuff that's going to hit inside, but they really do like to hit the perimeter with a lot of these runs as well. And that's where the blocks from your tackles, you know, Kittle on the outside, all of that stuff is going to be big. And so now you're you're taking what were two of the best pass blocking or run blocking tackles in the entire league when you started the season with Staley and McGlinchey, and now you are down to backups, nothing, guys that shouldn't be out on the field. Now, Justin School, of course, has gotten a lot of good press so far in the last couple of weeks because he's performed... Uh, if you listen to some people and you watch some, you know, some people's Twitter feeds that he's played remarkably well and he's played so well, he's played surprisingly average, which is still a surprise because that's the thing is he didn't play all that well on the film that he put out before. But getting to average for someone like Justin School, a sixth round draft pick with little to no NFL experience other than yep. some kind of shitty preseason snaps, that's that's pretty good. That is good in context. Yes. Now, does that mean that he is good? No. No. But does that mean that he is good in context? Absolutely. And you, you think, okay, you look at the counting stats and you think to yourself, but he's only allowed two pressures and the 49ers offense seems to be humming. It's like, okay, he's only allowed two pressures, but that's not really how you should be judging him. Because the fact is that Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers are getting the ball out incredibly quickly. And that's how you protect your quarterback. That's how you defeat a pass rush is by never having the ball in the quarterback's hands long enough for the pass rush to matter. Jimmy Garoppolo is getting the ball out faster than anyone in the NFL for anyone who's thrown, had a minimum 100 snaps. He holds the ball for under two and a half seconds on 65% of his dropbacks. He is, against the Cleveland Browns, he got the ball out on average in 2.08 seconds. That is ridiculous. Tom Brady usually leads this category, and he's like somewhere in the 2.3s. 2.25, 2.3. Jimmy Garoppolo is not holding the ball long enough for you to blink. So guess what? Justin School doesn't have to hold the block very, very long. And he's only allowed two pressures, but it's just because Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't hold the ball long enough for anyone to even try to register a pressure. And that's how you scheme away from pressure. That's how you basically don't put as much burden on someone like Justin School. So yes, he's been an average run blocker and he's been a worse pass blocker. But Shanahan is doing a lot to make sure that there's not a ton on Justin School's plate. Right. I, I think that's kind of the, you know, we've really been hammering the game script thing, but I think this, it applies here as well, right? So yeah, like you mentioned, the passing game has really been um, kind of structured around shorter throws, getting the ball out quicker. You look at Garoppolo's time to throw, like you mentioned, his average depth target. So how far downfield is he targeting receivers is very low. You know, it's around like in the seven yard range, um, which, you know, a lot of you'd like to get that closer to 10. You know, you're pushing the ball downfield, throwing toward the sticks or beyond 
um, a little bit more. And so it's a lot of underneath stuff that they're they're getting out there. Of course, they get a lot of play action stuff, which is always a little bit easier from a pass protection standpoint, especially with, um, you know, kind of the wide zone boot play actions that they use a lot of, you know, it's just rare that pass protection is going to matter a whole hell of a lot on those plays, right? Especially if you run it away from that bad tackle, even if he's bad, that player has to go so far to get over to the quarterback rolling out the opposite way that it just really doesn't end up mattering in most cases. So there's a lot of things that they've been able to do that, yeah, kind of hide the the tackles a little bit and make it easier for them. Um, and the offensive line is a, is a whole really. And so the, the game script thing allows them to do that, right? When you're playing with a lead, you don't have to worry about pushing the ball downfield all that much. You you can, you know, be able to be a bit more methodical and, and take these shorter throws and get some yards after the catch and kind of run your offense that way. If all of a sudden you're playing from behind and you got to catch up a little bit, you know, you go against a good offense like the Rams, who are, are very capable of putting points on the board, even though they haven't been playing as well this year as they were last year. Um, then that changes what you can do in your approach offensively, right? You do have to now start looking to make more plays. I got to sit in the pocket a little bit longer if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo because I got to wait for these downfield routes to develop. And that's when your tackles become more exposed. So if they can continue, and there's a, there's quite a few games on their schedule coming up still here as they kind of round out the first half of things um, where they should be able to do that, right? Yeah. Teams that aren't playing very good football right now, that they should be able to play well defensively, you know, build those leads and continue the same kind of formula that they've been doing. I think the latter part of this like four to six week stretch here is going to be the tougher yeah. part for them where you're playing some better teams. Things are going to be a little bit tighter throughout the game and and maybe kind of expose these guys a little bit more. Ultimately, defenders that are going up against Justin School have a 16% win rate, which is indeed below average. That is, of course, different than pressure rate because pressure is a bit of an outcome measure, whereas the win rate is like, did the defender beat him individually? For context, Mike McGlinchey was defeated 6% of the time. Person is at 8%. So he is not doing nearly as well as the starters, but game script and the plays that Shanahan is calling are helping to mask that as a good offensive play caller does. And now, of course, you've got Daniel Brunskill, who's the next man up, because Mike McGlinchey is going to be out. Uh, and so now you've got your second backup tackle. He spent two seasons on Atlanta's practice squad. He actually spent some time in the AAF, the, the great producer of NFL talent. I mean, you've got Demontre Moore coming out of yeah. San Diego. Now you've got Daniel Brunskill. Um, but he spent some time in Mike Martz's offense, played uh, 539 snaps in the AAF, and was a slightly better pass blocker than he was a run blocker. Would you look at that? Um, I'm, I'm trying to find him. I'm pulling up. Okay, here we go. So 11th. He was uh, qualifying tackles here. Right right middle of the pack. 11th out yeah. of 22. I, I don't think... In that, the AAF. In, in the AAF. Not the NFL. Yeah, correct. Uh, the, the now defunct AAF. <laughs> but that's okay. So I think ultimately, you know, you're, you are looking at some backup tackles. Um, and, and that's going to matter when you get to the 49ers next opponent, which is the LA Rams. Now, I can't get to the LA Rams before getting to the punter update. Because this would not be a podcast with David Newman if we did not talk punters. So let's talk really briefly about Wisnowski before we move on to the LA Rams. 16th overall in punter grade. Hasn't moved up, I think, in a little bit. He's been 16 the last couple weeks. Uh, has just 11 punts. Not a huge sample size. Uh, but leaders in the category, Brett Kern and Tress Way. Which Tress Way may be one of my new favorite names that I've just discovered. <laughs> because honestly, it sounds like the answer to a question from this week. How many field goals did Robbie Gold miss? Tressway. Tressway. Uh, what round was Tressway drafted in? Uh, I believe he was undrafted. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. Uh, uh, how about Brett Kern? 
also undrafted. Man, I know. Shit. You can't find him outside the fourth round. Though. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, um, we will. See I've, I, I, I won't lie. I haven't watched a single one of <laughs> Wish Nazi's Pond. Like that's not even. It's not intentional. It just like it literally hasn't happened. I have not watched a single one. Of it's all right. Uh, I am uh, Wish Nazi is an all pro in my heart. And I will continue to cheer on. It's a his. really great thing that they, uh, you know, put all of these resources um, into their specialists because they are playing lights out. You know, uh, Robbie Gold, man, what happens when you got to kick a field goal beyond 30 fucking yards because you're an offense that can't get it in the end hey zone man, when you're at the 10 yard it's line? All, it's all the long snapper's fault. Okay. This is oh, all right, right, long right. snapping it's issues. Totally not that kickers are fucking random as shit and go wildly all over the place every year. You, just, w- just wait until our Roy Ragey. Slight exaggeration. Our Ray Ragey uh, PED 10 game suspension returns and things will be just fine. That'll be great. Things will be just fine. Uh, all right, let's get to the Battle of the Infirm. It's the 49ers opening their division game against the L.A. Rams because not only are the Niners coming in banged up, but so are the Rams. Todd Gurley has a bit of a quad issue. He may not play. Akib Talib has a rib issue, uh, and he also may not play. And so both teams are coming in with a little bit of injuries, but ultimately it's still going to be a very, very important game. And if the 49ers can pull this out, I think they will be in prime position to be uh, the, to really win the NFC with the Seattle Seahawks, the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks, because at that point they'd be three games ahead of the Rams, uh, which is a good, good place to be. And the first question when you look at this game is, are the Rams still good? <laughs> um, I mean, probably. Right, I think is 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 likely the answer there. I but mean, the fact that you have to answer the question that way, I think, already says a lot about where the Rams are right now. I mean, they were just yeah. in the Super Bowl, and and now we're like probably, maybe, um, yeah, it's been tough. I think you know, uh, offensively, they certainly haven't been the same. Right, I think you look at their offensive line has been really, really bad, and that was a uh, very much a strong point, you know, for them when they were kind of uh, at their peak these last couple of years. Um, was one of the best parts there. You know, Whitworth came over they when when McVeigh got there, right? And then they brought brought in Whitworth and kind of revamped that offensive line, and it was a, a massive improvement, and they played very well. Um, that has not been the case this year. And then we're seeing Jared Goff um, just turn over the ball at uh, an absurd rate. He's not like quite Jameis Winston, Josh Allen level of like putting the ball in harm's way, um, but he's not too far behind those guys. And my, so my favorite is the small hands narrative that keeps cropping up for certain quarterbacks, and it's it's now on Jared Goff. He's now the we've bequeathed the small hands narrative from and what happened when he was playing well last year from small Alex Smith to, to now Jared Goff, and yeah. and it's just it's hilarious. But yeah, he's um, he's turning the ball over, and I think that's just because well he's turning the ball over, not because he's got small hands. Um, and it's in part because he's getting hit a lot. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, decision making for him has been has been pretty iffy. I think and and yeah, and it's again, it doesn't help um, when you have uh, the pressure that they've been getting and, and having to deal with that play and play out. He's not obviously a Russell Wilson, right? No. That can uh, overcome that and be able to make plays out of structure and, and kind of improvise a little bit like he is a guy that is much more comfortable in the pocket and, and when you can set him up with clean pockets he's going to play very well like he has a good arm he can make some great throws downfield like we've seen um, him make you know all sorts of great throws um, last season and the season before so it, it's just a matter of getting him to have that time in the pocket and, and be comfortable there and have a good feel for what he's seeing downfield when all of a sudden that stuff starts to break down 
yeah, he's just this year at least had that tendency to make some really poor decisions with the football. And so I think that, you know, aligns itself well, without the Fortnite has been playing defense, right? Like, like that's exactly kind of what they've been able to to inflict on opposing offenses so far is is getting after the quarterback, making him uncomfortable, and then taking those uh, plays and and actually producing turnovers, um, which was something that was completely foreign to them last year. Um, that they've just they can't stop taking the ball away this year. It seems now. Of course, the wrap on the Rams is that they've been figured out because a lot of teams are running this six-one front against them. It's something that the Detroit Lions did last season. It's something Belichick did in the Super Bowl. And, and so, what the hell is the six-one? And do you expect the Niners to do something similar to the Rams in order to stop their wide zone? Before I would have uh, said probably not because I didn't really expect Robert Sala to be like. Uh, a guy that was willing to change things up a whole hell of a lot. Um, I still don't think they'll run the 6-1. Because I, I, yeah. I, I think the wide nine effectively does it, right? So 6-1 effectively is where you got your four linemen and then you put basically linebackers on the end of the line of scrimmage. So you've got a six-man line. But then you've only got one bubble that's going to be filled by your linebacker. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, the idea, right, is you're you're trying... It's kind of like... Uh, I mean, it's really like the bear front, yeah, right? You're, Which you're, you're is, is what... Yeah, which is what the Patriots like to do. And so you're, you're really the, the point of it is you're covering up all of the linemen, right? And so um, one of the things that zone run games like to do is, you know, you're either getting double teams or you're able to get guys if you, you have the bubbles there. So you have a lineman that's not uncovered, get him quickly up to the linebackers, right? And, and allow him to get, have a better angle to get to those blocks and not have to worry about um, dealing with somebody that's right in front of him. And so now when you cover up all of those offensive linemen on the line of scrimmage, it just makes all of that hard. Now they are, they are all essentially turned into one-on-one blocks. And if you have a better player than them, well, that's not going to go so well. And so, um, yeah, it just kind of clogs things up. It, it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass to block with, you know, with the zone run scheme that they like to do. And so, um, it's just, you kind of take that away and you no longer have to worry about that threat as much. You get them in long yarded situations. The play action isn't going to be, uh, quite as effective. They're not going to really be a threat that your defense is going to bite on in those. Well, yeah, cause so, now your secondary yeah. players are pass first players. They're, yep. they're not so worried about the play. They don't action. have to respect the run fake that you're showing. Them. Exactly. So I, I don't think the Niners are going to run a six one. I would be very surprised. I would too. I would be very, very surprised because I do think that the wide nine does afford them some semblance of stopping the outside zone. I mean, ultimately, if you're going to line up your defensive end that wide, they have, they should have the ability to basically spike the edge and force things inside. Now, ultimately, I think McVeigh is probably going to run more inside. And, and I think that even if Todd Gurley doesn't play, if their offensive line, the, the issue with them is going to be whether or not their offensive line can block for anyone, Todd Gurley, irrespective of whomever's going to yeah. be lining up back there. Um, and, and so I think that, that we won't see the Niners run that 6-1. And, and I still think you'll see that defensive line have some success against the Rams offensive line um, just because they are a more they're playing at a much better. Uh, they're playing much better than the Rams offensive line right now. Yeah, I think I think kind of uh, you. Yeah, probably don't have to. Um, you know, most of those runs are going to going to hit inside anyway. Right. Um, not most wide zone runs don't actually hit wide. Right. They're all going to kind of end up. Um, somewhere kind of in the middle of the offensive line. But yeah, when, you, when you're not playing well, you don't have to like necessarily come up. When you, when you have a defensive line that's as strong as the 49ers is playing right now, um, you don't have to do as much stuff schematically to like get them freed up, right? You don't have to really yeah. change what you're doing as much. And so, 
yeah, I, I would kind of expect them to continue doing what they've been doing. Yeah, because I mean, it, the Niners are playing at a historic pace. We've mentioned that a couple times, but I mean, you look at the the defense and their defense adjusted value over average. It's really the the sixth highest ever measured through four games. Um, and it's due in large part to them having the fourth best defense over four weeks in the DVOA era. That's since 1986. Like based on per play efficiency, the Niners over four weeks have the fourth best defense that Football Outsiders has ever measured since 1986. I don't know if they can sustain that level of play yeah. against a team like the Rams that can still put up points. Because you think of the lowest point total that they had, which was against the Browns. They put up 20 points. But outside of that, they haven't scored fewer than 27 points. And they did, they did that against the Saints, which is a pretty good defense, right? And they threw up 40 against the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, they're, they're, they're throwing up points. They can still score. And so I don't think this is going to be the same, that we're going to see the same level of efficiency as we had over the first four games for the 49ers, just simply because they're going up against a better offense. Yeah, if they if they kept the Rams, you know, under 20 points like they've been doing, you know, every game so far this year, like that would be a major shock. Yeah, I, I would be incredibly surprised. And, and I think this defense is probably due for a regression. When you look at the the teams that were historically good over the first four weeks, especially on defense, those teams have taken a step back in the fifth week. It's it's a simple regression to the mean, but that doesn't mean it's a regression to bad. It just means that like when you're playing historically good, chances are you're not going to get better. Chances are, probabilities are going to be like, okay, you're going to get a little worse and that's okay. I do still think it will be, uh, it won't be a blowout by any stretch, uh, but I do think that this is going to be really the, the Niners defense like real true test because if they can shut down the Rams like they've shut down teams thus far, I think we're having a very, very different conversation about this team's prospects. Right. I mean, that's uh, the, the defense we talked about going into the season was going to be what set the ceiling right for the team. Like how how good can they actually be? Because we, we generally expect that. I mean, injuries are going to test a little bit, but by and large, like the offense has been very good. Right. I think the passing game has been a little bit slower to come along, but they've been good enough running the ball to kind of offset that. But overall, you know, beyond kind of some fluky uh, turnover stuff that they had happen, you know, in, in uh, this, the Pittsburgh game, especially um, they've been playing pretty well offensively, right? They've, they've been on track to hit what we said. Like, you know, I, I kind of thought going into it, if Garoppolo played the way that he did in, uh, in 2017, the way that we kind of expect him to over a larger sample, um, there's no reason that they couldn't be like a top five offense from an efficiency standpoint, right? But when you combine that, level of quarterback play with one of the best designers of offense and, and Kyle Shanahan, that's going to be a good recipe, right? And so when you have that, now you look to the other side of the ball and how good they are is going to determine how far that offense can really take you, right? If they're still uh, kind of below average, then yeah, maybe you're going to flirt with playoffs and stuff like that, but you're probably not seriously going to be a contender to to actually like go to the Super Bowl. If suddenly this is a defense that is legitimately even a top 10 defense, like they don't have to be the best defense in football uh, or, or the top two or three like they are right now. Right. Um, they just have to be pretty good. And that that yeah. changes things considerably when you look at the outlook for what this season can turn into. I think ultimately this is the game where we begin to see what the offense looks like when they have to rely on the passing game, because I, I do think the Rams are going to get up, are going to put up points. And I do think the Niners are then going to have to respond. I don't think they're going to have as positive of a game script. I don't think they're going to be able to hide their tackles as much as they have in the previous four games. 
And, and Aaron Donald's going to fuck up some shit in the run game. Aaron Donald is going to, I mean, and, and that's the thing is like you're, you're running it Donald and Brockers. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to end well. I think Weston Richburg has played his best football as a 49er thus far, but that still doesn't mean he's going to be able to manhandle it, it the It doesn't interior. matter. Yeah. I mean, it, it legitimately does not matter who you have on the interior yeah. of Ralph and Svon. Aaron Donald's going to win. He's going to get his. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't think that the run game is going to be something that they're necessarily going to be good at. It. And, and it's not going to dominate as it has thus far this year. And yeah. so I do think it's going to be largely on the hands uh, or on the arm of Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and that's where I think some of the cracks in what they've had, what they've overcome thus far will begin to be exposed, which is why ultimately, if I think predictions, I mean, the Rams are favored. They're favored by three. Um, I think the Niners lose this game. I don't think they cover the three point spread. I think they probably lose by four or maybe even a full score, um, a full touchdown, I should say. Um, but I do think that it will be uh, an entertaining game. And I think especially on offense, we're going to learn quite a bit about the team, uh, even if they do have two backup tackles. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the thing. We're, we're not going to really know how good they can be as a passing offense, right? Until later in the season, unfortunately, when they get those tackles back, like they're just not going to be able to operate at the same level without those guys. That doesn't mean, though, that they, they need to be terrible, right? And you can still get um still count on shanahan to be able to put together a good game plan like find ways to hide those guys to a degree um you know get jimmy out on the move a lot where he's very good throwing you know outside the pocket whether that's on design rollouts or out of structure um and, and kind of set those things up right and that's going to be the kind of the way that he has to build but yeah i i do think that this is a game script that doesn't go quite as much in their favor and i think that it's going to be tougher um with the Rams pass rush, like to be able to get a lot of stuff happening. I mean, that's what, that, that's what they need. They're going to need to be able to do. I think that you're going to need to see more from the passing game. If they're going to put together the same sort of win, uh, that they've, you know, been able to do th- through these first four weeks. So, uh, just something that's still, it's one of the things that's still an unknown, right? We're a month in, we know more about the team now than we did obviously going into the season, but we're by no means, do we know everything that we're going to know this year, right? Yep. We're still kind of figuring things out. Passing game is one that I think we don't yet have a great handle on how good that's actually going to be. And this is a game that, are, that, that it should be put more in the limelight. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. It's good to have you back, even if it was for a a one week only. Yep. Uh, That's good, man. You'll go back to watching punters and running backs here shortly. Um, yeah, I had a had a light had a light college week this week, so had yep. a little bit more time freed up. So yeah, we'll we'll try to um, hopefully find something a little bit later in the season, maybe once um, you know November hits, schedule starts getting a little yeah. tougher. Some of these good Matt have a better idea of you know where things are going to be at playoff wise. Oh man, I'm already circling that game again, that first game against Seattle and the Saints. Those are yeah. going to be Seattle games can be fun. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the Ravens game could end up being yeah. really interesting yep. uh, t- to watch. So yeah, and second half of the schedule is uh, I got Texas OU this weekend. I'm driving yep. up to Dallas. That's going to be fun. Uh, I think it'll be you know I, I the spread's eleven at this point. I think Texas probably loses but covers. So it'll be it'll be a good weekend. I'm going to eat a lot of things that have been fried. I'm going to be drunk by eight thirty in the morning and impressive it, it's oh, oh trust me not not difficult not difficult there are but so i go with my friend just about every year and uh last year or two years ago he was gifted these really shitty bottles of tequila that were out of like gun like glass bottles but the glass bottle was shaped like a gun and 
we thought it was funny because it's, it's a Red River shootout, even sure. though it's the Red River rivalry, the Red River showdown, because shootouts, you know, whatever. Fact. So, so we thought it was funny at eight in the morning, park the car, going to go into the, into the fair, start drinking. And we take the shot out of the gun and we had been drinking the night before and it's the fastest, oh, no. it's the fastest I've ever seen someone go from a shot to puke in my life. Literally, as soon as he ingested the shot, turned around and vomited. Uh, He's just like, body's like, nope. His body straight up said, hell to the gnaw. And so it, it became tradition. It's become tradition now. So we have a couple of those guns and we're going to do it again. And it's going to be hilarious. Dear God. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to uh, be fun. I kind of... I gotta hope he vomits immediately <laughs> again. You know, It'd be great. I do too. I do too. Uh, well, thanks for tuning in, and as always, go Niners. <laughs> <laughs>